you know, my main motto that I pretty much have to go back to every day is uh, winners never quit. Quitters never win. You know, it's to never give up. I mean, you know, nobody that's winning or on top or, you know, nobody that is doing good quits. I mean, you know, once the, once it gets hard, you know, you just got to keep, keep going, keep pushing through. I mean, everybody has hard times. Um, it's just what you, what you learn from your hard times. You are now tuning in to the Roughnecks Podcast with your host, Cole Nixon. Much love. I really hope you guys enjoy today's episode. If you do, then be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, then pay a simple cheap fee. All I ask is that you like the episode and then maybe share it with a friend you think would enjoy it as well. Help continue to grow this podcast and share the words of wisdom from all my guests that joined the show with as many people as possible. As always, be sure to grab the bull by the horns and take control of your life. Let's get into this week's episode. podcast this is episode 56 and before we dive into this episode i want to say thank you to everyone who made a purchase for the fall sale just got a text today is wednesday but this episode comes out on or today's tuesday and this episode comes out on thursday uh just got a text that all of the shirts are done so the orders will be coming getting out here soon um i still do have the smaller items for my youtube watchers the hats i still have some hats the wristbands koozies still have those for sale if you want something like that shoot me a message on social media or email me at roughneckspodcast at gmail.com and I'll get it out to you. The shirts and stuff, you may have to wait. I only make a certain amount at the times of the sales. And, but if I have enough people who want shirts, I'll put in another order to my shirt girl. But new month, new topic. And continuing with this topic of hard work, I have someone joining me today that has worked his ass off to get where he is today. Kyle Cheney, welcome to the Roughnecks Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a long time in the making. Finally, actually ended up connecting with you in Pataskala and then getting you on. And uh, it was, I messaged you a long time ago and you didn't even see it, which happens every day to me. So it doesn't matter. But I'm really glad that I finally able to get you on because, you know, the hometown thing and just where you've been and how you've uh, came up. It's very impressive. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I uh... You know, I know it was going to be hard getting on with you. I know we had a 6.30 scheduled today, but I'm sure you know what I was doing. I yeah. uh, had a buck I was hunting, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually sitting there, and I almost went out today, and I was like, I know what's going to happen. Because I got off work early. I was like, I know what's going to happen. Is Today would be the day that I get it, and then all of a sudden I'd be like, ah, crap, no, I can't record. So, <laughs> But if you would have got a anything, I'd have been like, no, that's fine. I understand 100%. <laughs> oh, I would have came back. I'd have let him expire and then come back and you know, <laughs> do shit with you and then go back out after him. But, uh, no, I mean, I've been after him pretty hard. He's actually been showing up in daylight, but I got I didn't see nothing today. I've seen him the last four days, and then today I didn't see nothing. So it's kind of a waste of time. Yeah, we're going to get into the hunting side of things because that's something that we have in common. But first, I like to allow my guests to give a background on themselves. So tell the Roughnecks listeners who Kyle Chaney is. Hey, uh, my name is Kyle Chaney. I am a professional off-road racer. I race for a factory Can-Am. Um, I've been racing with Can-Am for 10 years now, so over a decade. And I race a uh, Pro 4 in the Champ Series. So first thing we are going to talk about is the hunting side of things. And cause we do have that in common. That's something that we both like to do, but you're a big hunter, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, so like if I'm not racing, you know, I spend, you know, I'd like to say a hundred percent of my effort on racing. Um, but when I'm not racing, I'm spending a hundred percent of my effort on hunting. So in like the last, I don't know, seven, eight years, you know, I usually have a target buck I'm going after. Um, that I usually watch like, you know, from years prior, like, you know, I've, you know, now, you know, hunting is so advanced, you know, you have uh, trail cameras that send pictures right to your phone instantly. So, you know, you can almost monitor these deer like, you know, year round, which I do, you know, I have like 10 to 12 different spots that I keep cameras on year round. And, you know, I watch these deer and watch them from a young age, actually the deer I shot two years ago. Um, we've been watching him for about seven, six, seven years. He was eight and a half year old deer. 
Um, and we knew he was going to be something, something really good. And, and last year, um, well, two years ago, I ended up harvesting him at eight and a half. And then the deer I shot last year, we saw, watched him for four and a half years and uh, decided to hunt him last year. We figured it was his biggest year and we ended up, well, I ended up getting him uh, also. Uh, but this year, um, it's kind of like an off year. Um, a lot of my up and comers, I always watch like uh, the deer between two and a half to four and a half are like the most vulnerable age of getting killed. Like that's when they're like, you know, they're, they're horny and, you know, they're, you know, they're running around with like chickens with their heads cut off. So I like keeping like my deer, like, you know, I like to say my deer, they're not my deer, but you know, you know, cause they're not pen, you know, they're all free range, but I like saying my deer because I, I feed them, you know, I, I give them mineral, like, you know, one of the, one of the deers a couple of years ago was injured, you know, and I just keep pumping them full of protein and, you know, he'd come to it every day. I could have shot him if I wanted, but I wanted him to make another couple of years. So, you know, we keep an eye on these deer all year round. So, uh, but anyway, last year, all my up and comers got shot every single one. Um, shotgun season last year, we had a cold spell opening day. And almost all my up and comers got shot opening day of shotgun last year. So I didn't have anything to hunt this year. Um, I've been looking for a deer, looking for a deer. And one showed up like a week and a half ago. So I've been hunting hard for him and uh, he's, he's a monster. So hopefully I can, I can get him and put some pictures up on my Instagram for you guys to see, but he's going to be tough, tough to kill for sure. Especially now they're kind of in that October law where they're mm. kind of off feeding. And, you know, when they do feed now, they're going to feed at night. So it's almost got to wait till rut now. Yeah, I know. That's one thing. Cause I've been out and like, I'm seeing them, but I'm not seeing the one that I want to see, but I like how you said my deer, I do the exact same thing. I think that's something like, once you really get into it, you start like do doing all the preparation and like actually putting the time in you, it, it does feel like your deer and like with the property I hunt, I it's my brother-in-laws and sisters, but you know, my family hunts it too, but it's, I always say that's my deer. And they're like, well, if we should, I'm like, yeah, you guys, I mean, I'm not going to tell you, you can't shoot it. I like, I'd want somebody to shoot it, but I'm the one who does all the work, takes the time. And, but once you put in that work too, I realized like a lot of my friends and when I was younger, you know, I didn't like put in the time feeding and like doing trail cameras, doing everything you had to do. And, you know, I wasn't seeing as many deer. And then all of a sudden the past couple of years, I've really started to put in the work and it's crazy what a difference it makes. Yeah, no, it is crazy. The more work you put in, you know, the bigger deer you'll shoot. And, and like, I've, I haven't shot bigger deer every year, but now I pretty much have like a, you know, I mean, every, you know, some people shoot a one-year-old and they're happy with it. You know, some people shoot a doe, they're happy. You know, I'm, you know, when I started out hunting, that's, that's how I was. I just enjoyed hunting now you know, I, I can't, I can't do it. Like now I have to have a deer that I think is at least like five and a half, at least five and a half years old for me to hunt. You know, I want them to be mature. Um, you know, they're by far the hardest deer to hunt. Um, especially I do all my hunting with a bow. Um, you know, it's just, I, I do like the challenge and, you know, I like watching the deer grow up. I like, you know, having trail camera pictures of them, you know, from a spike all the way up to a 200 inch deer. So, you know, it's, it's really awesome to watch like a deer like evolve or like, you know, grow up, you know, through the years, it's, it's, it's amazing. And then go out and try to find their shed antlers. You know, like you said, you know, the more time you put in, you know, the bigger deer you can shoot and the, you know, you, you have to pass on them one forties, one fifties, even one sixties sometimes if you want to shoot a booner, you know, so it's, uh, it's definitely tough. You know, once you start shooting bigger deer, like you just want bigger and bigger and bigger and older and older and older. And, you know, it definitely gets tough and, you know, picking, <laughs> there's not just booner deer in every woods. So it's, uh, it definitely makes it tough. Yeah. Cause like, I remember last year I have eight points, 10 points walking in this year that I would have a hundred percent shot last year. But since I got my buck last year, I'm like, now I want to go bigger. Like uh, these, these, I want to let grow like in a couple of years. Yeah. They might get shot, but right now they got to, they got to wait, they get to wait their turn. But how old were you when you first got into hunting? So uh, actually my buddy Jet, I was late, you know, I, I did a lot of fishing and stuff younger, but my dad was never a hunter um, and no one in my family really was. So I didn't really get into it, but my buddy took me once when I was 16 um, gave me a crossbow and sat me on the ground and a couple does walked out and I mean I didn't shoot any of them I shot at one and missed but like just that experience was was awesome you know just like the does and then you know I started hunting my grandpa's property and I you know I shot a button buck my first buck it was a button buck and you know it's crazy to think now uh, you know <laughs> the deer that I do shoot but you know I do I just remember that 
that adrenaline you get from it. And it's like, it's, I only get that adrenaline sometimes. And it's, you know, it's only at some races and some stuff. I mean, the pro four definitely gives me that adrenaline, but like having a, you know, even a small buck, you know, like I said, it depends on what you're after. Like right now having a mature buck comes, come in, it's crazy adrenaline. Like, I don't even know if, you know, racing a pro four could top it, but, you know, shooting a monster buck or even having a deer, you know, within range, bow range of you, you know, makes your adrenaline just skyrocket. And it's one of those things, especially because I just got out of football last year was my last year of football. And like, it's the closest thing. It probably, like you said, more adrenaline rush and like that, like it's almost a competition. It's a competition against you and the deer. And it just gives you a, a rush that you don't get unless you like through athletics you get it but that is just a whole different thing and with football being over it is the one of the, like it's the closest thing I can get to that and it makes it like gives me something to look forward to in a way yeah no for sure and and people think like because they hit them with their cars every day they're like oh I could go out and get a deer I hit one with my car you know ever you know last year they're they're easy they are not you know especially the, if you want the older ones and you're after the mature bucks like they are, you know, born natural surviving machines. You know, they, they are probably one of the uh, mature whitetails, probably one of the most toughest animals to hunt. I mean, they have an incredible sense of smell. I mean, if you intrude their area, like if just walk through it more than once, like they're, they become nocturnal, like, you know, they know that what you're there to do and, you know, they, you know, people just think, oh, you can just throw a corn pile out. And no, I mean, you know, yeah, you can get some deer coming into it, but you know, mature buck is going to go down the end of that corn pile. Yeah. You can shoot them off them every now and then, but you know, almost like I said, they are, they are a surviving machine. And even when you shoot them, like if you don't make a good shot, like mm-hmm. they, they will live. I mean, they, they will live with, you know, missing legs. You know, I seen deer, you know, live with, you know, shots that I thought were, you know, were, they were only going to go hundred yards and die. Actually the deer that I'm hunting right now, um, got hit by a car and has a broken hip and, um, and he, he can still run. Like I've watched him run. I mean, he, he has pr- trouble getting around, but like, you know, when he's scared, like he still runs, like these things are, are insane. Like I'd like, I want to kill him that way I can, you know, really look at him and, you know, see how hard he was hit, but he, he was hit very hard. Um, I mean, it was hard enough that it messed up the rack on the other side. Usually when a deer is injured on one side, um, it messes up the rack on the other side. You know, they usually have an abnormal rack. Um, and this deer, he was hit hard. Um, I don't know by what, but it was definitely a, a vehicle. Yeah. It's crazy too. Cause people think that it's so easy, but like the one thing that I learned and that I've always said there's a reason they've lived so long. There's a reason yeah. they're so old and so big. Like it's because they like they have that survival sense and continue to live. But are you a morning or evening hunt kind of guy? Evening for sure. I mean, so, so like I don't I hunt mornings in the rut um, just because, you know, the, the deer are kind of sporadic. Um, and, you know, usually during the rut, I'll sit all day. You know, I usually go in the mornings to kill midday. I've killed a lot of my mature deer midday because like during the rut, you know, the big bucks kind of know that that's the time that the, the does are bedded down. Um, you know, they, you know, big bucks don't want to be chasing does around. And, you know, you've got your two, three, four and a half year old bucks just running like crazy during the morning and evenings. Well, they have to rest. So they rest midday, does bed down, big bucks get up and then they start scent checking these beds for does. Like, you know, they don't want to be chasing, you know, so once they find a doe in heat, they'll kick all the other bucks off of her they'll chase her around a little bit you know they won't chase her but she'll run and then they'll breed her and then they'll go on to the next so i've killed a lot of my my big deer midday but usually like right now and in, in late season I, I won't do a whole lot of morning hunts because you risk uh scaring scaring the deer off the field you know when you go in in the mornings yeah and i learned that the lesson the hard way last year i think i had something i went i was at school so all i could work was the week or hunt was the weekends and I was hunting a Saturday, hunted the morning during the rut, and then had something, I think, in the afternoon. So I got down, and then I think, like, an hour after I left the stand, like, you see me walking past the trail camera, and then, like, an hour later, here comes a giant buck walking the other way. And I'm like, of course, that's the, the day I have something, because I wanted yeah. to stay out all day, but I just couldn't. Yeah. And the rut is crazy. I haven't experienced a whole lot with the rut, because I only got to really hunt. I only got into bow hunting last year, really. And I love it way more than gun now, 
but it's one of the, the ruts an insane time and it, it they're like you said they're sporadic and you never know what's going to come through when no there's really no better time to be in the woods than than rut you know it's fall you know the leaves are coming off the trees it's cool like you know the weather's cold like it's really nice like i love hunting the rut and you know i can just it's so peaceful for me because um you know i race all year like since february until now I've been home like a total of two weeks. Like I've been living out of my RV, you know, at different races at different people's houses. Like I have not been home, like just going nonstop and like just sitting in the woods. Like it's just so relaxing to me. I just, I love it, especially during the rut sitting all day, not knowing what could come by. Like usually like, you know, around now, like you kind of know what's in the woods and what's you know going to come. You kind of know their schedule, but you know, come rut, like you never know. I mean, you can just be sitting there and there could be nothing going on for hours. And then the next second, the woods just explodes and there's deer everywhere. Like it's, yeah. it's an amazing time of year. Where is, have you ever gone on other hunts other than just hunting whitetail here in Ohio? <laughs> so the thing is, is like, I like doing whatever I do, like a hundred percent. Like I want to, I give it my all. And I like, you know, like I said, I like watching the deer grow up. I like doing it. So I, I don't, I've never really went anywhere else and hunt. I've had the opportunities, definitely. Um, and I, I have a few times I've went to Missouri and hunted with my buddy and I went to Indiana and hunted with a buddy, but like, you know, I, I've been invited on so many hunting trips, like to, um, deer ranches and stuff where, you know, they say, Hey, you know, this is where this deer has been coming in. You know, you pay them a thousand bucks and they set you up in a tree stand and lodge you. Like, I don't know. I just, I just can't do it. I mean, I know a lot of people that do, and it, and it is a good time, but I just, I, I don't know. It's just, just not for me. The only hunt I really ever did do was Can-Am took me on a hunt. Um, it was for like one of their photo video shoots that they were doing for one of the utility units. And, uh, we went to uh, South Dakota and hunted, uh, actually it was a Buffalo. Um, but it, it, it was, it was a fun experience. It was a fun time. Uh, you know, Buffaloes are huge. They're yeah way bigger than you think but I mean it was fun but you know it's not something that I, I don't think I would do you know without you know them you yeah. know covering it or you know doing exactly that. all right but I gotta ask because you got I'll put a, pu a couple pictures on the screen for the YouTube of some of your deer which one's your favorite that you have so far your favorite kill so problem <laughs> it's a hard decision I, I, have a lot of deer that I put a lot of time in for but I would say cell tower from two years ago was probably probably the so I'll tell you a couple different stories <laughs> the, the cell tower was two years ago um he's got like a 26 inside spread like you know he's he would have been a 190 inch deer which is really big uh when I shot him the first time I actually shot him in, in October. And so this is how strong deer are. I, I shot him in October, um, from 55 yards and the broadhead hit his shoulder and bounced off. Mm -hmm. Like I've like it, it the arrow bounced back towards me. I'm like, you have got to be kidding. He walked, he ran away and I had pictures of him the next night. I'm like, that is crazy. Um, but he, he broke off like seven inches of antler during the rut. Um, and I ended up shooting him late season, but I've never put in any more time for a deer. Like that was a eight and a half year old deer. We know he was eight and a half. We've been watching him for a long time. Um, a bunch of people were hunting him. I mean, he was definitely not, he was definitely a known deer. Um, uh, but I, I hunted him almost every day I could, um, with, with the wind, you know, you got, like I said, a deer like that, you can't can't hunt them on bad winds mm -hmm. um but i hunted them almost every day i could we put in years of work for this deer i didn't hunt him you know until that year um so yeah that was probably my my most memorable memorable deer last year the deer i shot it was just a freak story we i uh i shoot him it's snowing um i shoot him in the snow um i it's like another long shot like 60 yards i think it's a really good shot but is in the evening and you know if you don't know for sure you back out and so i backed out and waited till morning well we got four inches of snow that night so we went out and started tracking him you know of course you know we can't find any tracks or any blood because you know there's four inches of snow so my buddy ended up finding some blood and this deer like i could when i shot him like he ended up coming up wind. I mean, I could smell him. Like he had just got done running. Like he's super, like it was the first of December. 
like he was I don't know if he was like in second rut but he smelled well we went over to the bed that he found blood in and I smelled him like that's not the deer I shot no way I'm like I already know there's no possible way that's the deer I shot and he's like man there's blood and we, he started following that blood trail I'm like it's not it so I just started gritting the area and he kept following the blood trail and I just kept gritting and then he started finding more and more blood while well, he drew me off off my gut instinct and I started following the blood trail he was on well we followed it for like four miles and uh finally we just gave up um and backed out and I ended up going to California for a race to Texas for a race and when I'm in Texas I just got this feeling I'm like I need to go back to where we last found blood and and look for this deer again like I, I know he's dead I know my shot was good um so I got back from Texas this was two weeks later I walk in the woods I'm walking like, you know, with the four miles we went was like zigzaggy. So I'm like walking directly, like a straight line, you know, and this woods is huge. I mean, it's, it's probably a thousand acres, huge. Mm -hmm. So I'm literally walking a beeline to where we found the last blood. I, I trip over my deer. Like, I'm <laughs> like, like, you've got to be kidding me in the thickest stuff. Like I double lunged him, you know, crazy that coyotes hadn't got to him yet you know he was still totally intact um crazy story like so we must have been following a, a deer somebody else shot or something like i said i already knew it wasn't him but i was just happy i found my deer but it's just that gut instinct like i knew he was dead i knew my shot was good um but you know that was that's a, a one of my crazier deer hunting stories well you had to just recent or was it last year that you had to pull the one out of the creek or the river or whatever was that well so that was funny story there so we have to use the property i hunt crosses a river and you either have to go all the way down to the railroad tracks to get across or you can use kayak well we used the kayak and i thought it was a good idea to put both of us in a kayak and it was the river was raging and it was probably 16 foot deep and it's you know it's 40 50 yards wide well we fell in and it was snowing and it was cold and my like he fell in and like I looked at my buddy and he looked like he was gonna die. Like it was like I felt bad, but like I'm like I'm not gonna let you die. But like <laughs> he like like you know the look on his face was like this is it. Like we're done. Like because you couldn't breathe and we're in heavy stuff and like the current's trying to suck you in. I'm like we're only freaking five feet from shore. I'm like just swim a little bit. Like we can get to shore, but like you know, we couldn't talk because you know we fell in so fast. The water was so cold. Like couldn't breathe and you couldn't talk. But yeah, but anyway, yeah, we used the raft to get it back across the, the <laughs> river. But that was that was the year before. It was that same spot, which is really unusual for me to shoot two deer in the same spot, um, at least back to back years, because you know usually you don't have two shooter deer in one spot mm -hmm. um, back to back years. But we'll get into the side. Oh wait, one more question on the bow. Uh, what is your bow setup? What do you have? So, <laughs> um, my buddy, you know, does a lot of the um pictures and stuff for Hoyt so he got me hooked up with Hoyt a couple years ago so um, I get their new bow every year um and I actually they just sent me the RX5 um but I'm still shooting my RX4 and I haven't even set up my RX5 because like so the deer that I'm hunting he was usually coming out in the same spot and I can shoot my RX4 100 yards like and hit a pie plate so he's been coming out like the closest I can really get to him without scaring him is like 80, which I'm so comfortable at 80 yards with my RX four that I haven't even tried to set up my RX five, but it's an 80 pound RX four. All right. But now we'll get into the side-by-side -side things. When all, when did all the side-by-side -side racing, when did all that start? Man. Um, well, I, so I raced dirt bikes as a kid. Um, my dad got me into racing dirt bikes and, you know, we got picked up by KTM um, like their amateur program, uh, racing off-road, uh, when I was 12, no, probably 13, 14, 15. Um, and then I tore my ACL when I was 16, you know, we, we won some amateur championships and, uh, you know, we're, or we're starting to move towards the pro ranks. And, uh, I, I tore my ACL practicing, you know, this was kind of why we were racing my first year as, as an A rider, as a pro, um, so I kind of had to, to, you know, take some time off for that. And then I just kind of kept injuring my knees. Like uh, I ended up having five knee surgeries after that. And, you know, I, I loved racing, you know, I didn't really play many school sports, school sports, because I wish I would have now, but um, 
because of racing, you know, it took up so much time. And, you know, as a kid, you know, I'm, I'm sure growing up, everybody wants to be a professional football player when they're a kid or mm-hmm. professional basketball player or, or, or whatever. So I mean, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I, I watched the guys making money at it. You know, I wanted to be that, wanted to be them. And, you know, as like a, a young teenager, like I, I felt like I was good enough. You know, my parents felt like I was good enough. My sponsors felt like I was good enough. Well, you know, then I started getting hurt and uh, I just couldn't keep my knees, knees good. Like, I would, I'd have a surgery on one knee and then I'd like overcompensate on my other knee. And then I just end up tearing it. And, you know, right now both my knees are torn, but I just deal with it. I just, uh, just kind of, it wasn't even worth getting them fixed anymore. You know, just cartilage buildup around them is enough. I just don't play basketball or anything like, (laughs) you know, twisting sports, but, you know, so that's kind of, kind of how it all started. You know, I, I, uh, I still was racing dirt bikes, um, until like 23 and, um, I, I just knew I wasn't going to make it like I was good, but I wasn't that good. And, and I, I still had the drive though. I still like, I knew there was something more. I, I knew there was more than, you know, me going doing a nine to five job, but you know, what I'm not saying is a bad thing, but that's not, it wasn't for me. It's um, not, I, yeah. It's not for everybody. That's what I've learned. And, you know, I, you know, expect people expect when you go to college, especially cause I went to college and they're like, you know, you're supposed to go get a nine to five after, but that's not for everybody. And it's no, it, it really fine. isn't. Yeah, no, it really isn't. And I knew back then it wasn't for me, you know, I wanted to, you know, I knew there was something that I could do, you know, you know, more and and I really liked racing, but I just knew like, even at 23, like that's too old for dirt bikes, like you're past your prime, like, um, well, anyway, I ended up getting hurt again. And uh, so I, and I didn't have, you know, side by sides just started coming out, you know, they've been racing them for a couple of years in the series that I was doing. And, uh, you know, I didn't have the money to buy a, buy one at the time, but, you know, my grandma gave me a loan, uh, for a side, a Can-Am commander. Um, she's like, oh, if you get off those stupid dirt bikes, I'll give you a loan. You know, <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, so, you know, she gave me a loan and I went to North Carolina and bought the first Can-Am commander I could get a hold of. And, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't know anything was going to come of it really. I was just kind of doing it to, to heal myself, to stay racing for dirt bikes. Cause I still wanted to race dirt bikes. Well, me and my buddy go out for the first race and, uh, we're doing really good. I, I felt like we were doing really good. And, you know, this was a stock unit. Everybody else is out there and fully built race cars. We're racing against like Polaris national guard team, like the factory can-am teams. Like there was probably, at least 15 pro teams, you know, that are sponsored by big names at the time. And we're just in a stock car. Like, you know, it's all, it would almost be like taking a Toyota Camry out and racing a NASCAR. Like, I mean, not quite, but pretty close. And so anyway, we raced the pro class because that's what we wanted to do. And we never thought anything would come of it, but we ended up hitting a tree and breaking. Like, Man, that was really fun. Um, so we go to the next round and uh, it's super muddy um, super nasty. And, and me and my co-pilot, you know, we take off and, uh, we had no idea, but we're winning the race. Like after four laps, you know, there are woods races. So this race is an hour long. Um, they're like, um, races through the woods, like through creeks, up hills, you know, like I think the, the, this track was like six miles long. Well, anyway, like we're on the white flag lap and we're winning. We have no idea we're winning. And so anyway, we're winning and, um, there's this guy that's on fire, like his car caught on fire. So we stop, my co-pilot gets out, puts him out, puts the car out, um, you know, cause they couldn't get unbuckled and get to their, uh, fire extinguisher. So we got him put out. Um, like I said, if, if I knew we were winning, I don't know if we'd have stopped, maybe we wouldn't have, maybe we wouldn't have I don't know. But anyway, we got him put out and, and we take off and, uh, we get to the, the finish line and they had called the race the lap before because, it was so muddy and the track was so bad that they couldn't even get people through the scoring shoot anymore. Cause there was, they were, the ruts were so deep going into scoring that there was 30 people stuck and they couldn't even get into scoring. So we ended up winning that race. Um, the overall out of everybody, um, factory can-am comes to me on the podium is talking to me, gets my number the next week they call me and they're like, uh, you want to race for factory can-am the rest of the year? I'm like, well, yeah, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> like, you know, so, and then we raced for their factory team the rest of that year. And uh, that's pretty much when it started. And that was 2011. It's been a long ride since, since then now, but um, how many side-by-sides do you own? Because you have a pretty sweet garage or barn. I think it's your garage right off your house that is loaded with some cool shit. How many do you currently have in your garage? 
uh, four and a pro. Well, one, two, three, four. Well, I'm, I'm building one for a customer. So if you count that five, um, you know, I have customers that want race cars. So, you know, we build those two. Um, but yeah, five, um, including uh, the one I'm building and a defender that I use for hunting. And uh, the, um, and I have a pro four also the trucks in there too but mm-hmm. yeah we we sell we usually sell our race cars at the end of every year so i've already sold one um we usually we sell them around this time once season's over and then we'll start building new ones for the next season i was gonna ask what's the racing season like for you guys is it so obviously you have a season is it similar to like what motocross is where you have like a point system at each race or is it how it, how is it set up yeah. So, so, but it, it's a, it's a little bit, it, it is. Yes. Yeah, so there are series like that. So like the champ off road series where I race the pro four and I race the side-by-side two, it's set up just like that. Um, just like motocross, you have a point system, but then there's also other races I do too, that are like one-off events. Like there's a race in Oklahoma. That's really big. King of hammers is probably mm-hmm. the biggest off-road event in the United States. Um, and it, it's just a one-off event uh, hosted by Ultra Four, and it's in California. Um, and then I've been doing some races in Texas, and so I do like some one-off races too, just just try to stay busy. But like my main focus is um, a series called Side by Side Sports Champ Off Road, and uh, of course King of Hammers. So take me through the process of like a race, like a week where you have races. Like, what is your whole schedule like in a way? Well, I guess, so I guess I'll, I'll take you through a, like a champ um, race weekend, you know, where we race the pro four and the side-by-side. So it's two different events, Saturday and Sunday. So you, you travel, um, you usually load in on Wednesdays. Um, you know, when I say load in, we get the trucks and everything and get the awning set up, you know, which is, you know, a, a pretty long process. You know, we have a big awning off, off the, off the stacker trailer. Um, we get everything out, get everything set up. Um, kind of go through tech and everything on Thursday, you know, got to go through tech. They inspect all your safety stuff and make sure you're not cheating and all this stuff. So go through that on Thursday. And then Friday is usually practice and qualifying for um, all the events. So the side-by-side and the truck. And then Saturday uh, you go into, into racing. So you race the side-by-side and the pro four. And then Sunday uh, you do it again, you do race side-by-side and the pro four. So you get a double header every weekend. Um, But you know, it's, you know, we pretty much bring enough parts to build a, a whole new, a whole unit, like, um, to one of those races, you know, the trailer's packed full of about every, any part you could imagine that you could possibly need, um, for the race weekend. Um, I forget what I was going to ask now. So what is, how, how often do you practice? Like when you're back at home, like how much hard, like, cause it, there is a lot of work that I, I think people, a lot of people just think you just show up and ride. And like, that's all that's to it. But there, how much hard work is it? Like, what's the training like to prepare for these races? So the so kind of funny thing about that is we don't, I don't do a whole lot of like practicing per se in the side-by-side um, or the truck. I mean, we do, you know, a couple practice sessions, you know, I, I maybe practice in the actual unit, maybe five times a year at most, um, most the the reason is is because it's so hard to replicate like racing conditions or track conditions like um usually like if we do practice we go rent out one of the tracks um, which is very expensive and you got to travel there um so we you know we mainly do that to get ready for the year and then once the year starts we usually don't practice at all but it's because there's so much work that goes into it during the week i mean you pretty much don't have time to practice you pretty much go from race to race to race to race like there's no time during the week to practice you know by the time you get get packed up sunday night you know when you're done with racing um you you travel monday maybe to the next round or if you you have a week in between then maybe you go home or maybe you stay you know at, at a shop that's close to the next track um you get there monday night or tuesday um, you wash units all day. I mean, it takes all day to wash these things. I mean, we take every piece of plastic off, you know, the side-by-side in the truck. So it's pretty much an all-day process to wash. Um, so then you're into Wednesday. Um, and then, like I said, you know, sometimes you got to be back at, back at another race. So you're already reloading to go do another race. Um, and then you'll just prep the unit at the track. But a lot of times you, we have two, two weeks in between like the big events. So 
you know, you spend Wednesday, Thursday, Friday prepping, you know, the side-by-side -side in the truck or not prepping, but taking apart, seeing what's broken, what needs fixed. And then you order your parts Monday, Tuesday, some stuff you got to have overnighted. And then you're putting it back together the next week. And then you're at the race. So it's like, there's no time to, to test. But what I do is um, I used to do, I, I'm 35 years old. So, you know, I used to always be in the gym. I would not miss, miss a day. Like uh, I used to do like a bunch of CrossFit stuff, you know, cause I really enjoyed it. I do heavy lifting. I, I, you know, I just, I, I really enjoyed working out. Well, it, it, I have bad joints. Like I said, my knees and then, you know, my wrists. Now I broke my wrist racing dirt bikes. And it's just like the CrossFit just kind of as good as it was for me, it was bad for me too, because it just took my joints and wore them out like even worse than what they were. So what I've been doing the last couple of years is I've been mountain biking a lot. Um, I do a lot of mountain biking, which kind of keeps like, uh, your edge like you know since i'm not racing you know everything's really fast everything happens really fast well um you know i don't want to ride dirt bikes anymore because you know for one i don't want to you know i don't you know you can get hurt racing riding a mountain bike too but uh, i don't think your don't, sponsor would be too happy <laughs> yeah I mean, if i got hurt i had probably you know like i said i have to make my house payment so but you know riding mountain bikes it's really good workout it's really good on your knees like it's super fun like we have a bunch of awesome mountain bike trails you know here in central ohio mm -hmm. um you know, horn cell, they just put like 50 grand into horn cell yeah. in Newark. And it is awesome. Like it's, it's the, by far the, the best like downhill park, like in Ohio. So, I mean, and, and it keeps me sharp too. So like, you know, I don't, you know, you can keep that good focus, you know, on when, when you're mountain biking, you have to, you know, stay agile and sharp. So I think it's really good for racing. So I don't necessarily practice, but I, I stay focused on, on what I have to do. What is the furthest distance that you've had to travel for a race? Cause you, I mean, obviously you have to drive to your races. What's the furthest distance that you've had? So this race I'm, I talked about, it's called King of Hammers. It's in Johnson Valley, California, which is, uh, I don't know, it's like a couple hours out of uh, Los Angeles. Um, and we travel out there like two to three times a year because we do test for that race. So we do go out and we practice. Like you don't know the track when we go out. So I'll probably go out um, in December to pre-run test new suspension stuff. Um, like I said, this race is huge. Like it is by far the biggest race in the United States. So we spend a lot of time like getting ready for this one event. So I will drive back and forth to California two or three times just to practice, you know, cause they're King of Hammers is like, what I like about it so much is it's a little bit of everything. It's like mm -hmm. a 300 mile race, like a hundred and some miles is in the desert. And then like the rest of it's in the nastiest rocks that God put on this earth. Like you pull up to these things and you would not believe that a side-by-side -side could go up or down these things. Like there are drop-offs that are 20 feet straight down. Like, and then some of them, you got to go up, you, you have to winch, you have to winch up this drop-off. So it's like, it's, it's really crazy. Like if you can watch some of like King Hammer videos, like online, they I'll post really one on the, on the YouTube video. I'll put your little clip from the King of Hammers onto here, but it, they are, are King of Hammers is crazy. So it's, that's what I like about King of Hammers is because it's technical. It's a little bit of everything. You gotta have pitch strategies involved. Um, you know, and like I said, we spend a lot of time and candy. I'm really, that's a, a really big event for them. So you, I, I, you talked about your co-pilot. What exactly, take our listeners through kind of what your co-pilot does for you. So a lot of the races I race now, um, we don't have a co-pilot, you know, like the short course stuff. It's more like a shorter, shorter race on like a motocross track. Um, those of you don't have a co-pilot, but like King of Hammers, uh, we do have a navigator. So um, you're allowed 150 foot on each side of the March trail, which they'll give you, you have a GPS pretty much a, like a fish finder um in the car and he's he has it in front of him and he's telling you which way to go which way the track is um so you know we have headsets on and you know he's telling me left you know just kind of, i'm sure everybody's seen like in-car rally stuff pretty much the same thing just navigating me through the desert and then the rock trails and then you know once we they usually give us the track map like um a couple days before the race so we'll go pre-run that track and then he can put in markers like say hey uh, you know there's a big nasty drop off to the right stay left at this interchange or whatever so it's just like or like this whoop section's really nasty in the desert make sure you stay right you know uh 100 feet 
So like, you know, he's over there like reading this GPS screen the whole time, which I could not do. I mean, we're going through the <laughs> desert at a hundred mile an hour through five foot deep whoops and he's holding onto the screen looking at it. I would puke. I, I, there's no way I could do it. I mean, I, my props are off to anybody that, that can co-pilot, but you know, it's just not for me, but then, you know, they're also over there to help winch and uh, moral support too. I mean, actually the first race uh, we did a desert race out there. So it's like, I, I raced three different events out there, like a desert race, like the rock race. And then we race, I raced the side-by-side against the trucks uh, the 4,400 trucks. Mm. Um, but anyway, the, the desert race was just like a 380 mile desert race. And, uh, we get, you're not allowed to, we got a flat tire after one of the pits and you're not allowed to turn around and come back. Like you have to go to the next pit and we'd already used our spare and we didn't get a spare in the pit. Cause I'm like, yeah, I can make it. I didn't like the way the car handled with the spare. So literally we get a, a flat right out of the pit and we weren't a mile out of the pit and we have like 70 miles to the next pit. So we we start going and we have the lead at this point and i'm like man i'm like like we did like 30 miles and it's a front flat and it's hard to drive i'm trying to still go fast and i'm like dude i don't, i think we're done he's like no we can still win you can still win keep going like so there he's there for like moral, moral support too because it's like you know i was like i hate quitting and i'm not a quitter but like i'm like we have a flat tire like i don't there's no possible way that we can make it 70 miles through the desert with this flat tire no way he's like yes we can yes we can and that all it took that was all it took is him saying that a couple times and we ended up making it and then got a, a new tire and uh, came down to the last lap you know it is a lap race too and we ended up getting another rear flat and we finished with a rear flat but we ended up winning that race so um it's a good thing we stayed out there so I noticed on your story and on his story recently, you were uh, with Travis Pastrana, weren't you? Yeah, um, I did. Uh, that's actually what I was on the way back from the other day when we were supposed to do the podcast. Uh, we were up at ERX for the Nitro Rally Cross. Um, it's a rally series that uh, Pastrana's uh, has some some ties with in the United States um, right now. I think they're going to go international next year, but um yeah so it's like a short course rally uh race that they called nrx uh nitro rally cross um and we were up there doing that and actually uh deegan brian deegan uh rented one of my side by sides for the race and travis pastrana rented uh one of scotty's uh side by sides for that race too um there's also some other you know big names you know in, in the mix uh Andrew Carlson, um, Tanner Faust, uh, you know, there were some other big names that raced the side-by-side, uh, that weekend too. Uh, we ended up winning the first day and then the second day, um, we, we had the pole position. We were fastest in the heat and qualifying. And then, uh, I got hit in the, the second corner and it broke my rear knuckle, but, uh, Tanner Faust ended up winning, but actually it was, um, when me and, me and Pastrana were in our heat together and, and I was in front of him and he was <laughs> I was pulling away from him and he was trying to catch me and he ended up hitting the wall. Uh, he hit the concrete K wall and it, he wrecked the car so bad that it took the motor and transmission and broke the motor and transmissions out. And the motor and transmission was sitting in there sideways. Like, and it like tore his like a muscle in his shoulder. Like he hit hard. So yeah, he, he wasn't able to race anymore. Yeah. I saw in his stories, <laughs> he posted pictures and said, trying to keep up with Kyle Chaney. And I was like, wait a second, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he hit the wall pretty hard. Yeah. He, he was done racing side-by-sides after that. Oh, he, he finished the, the weekend in the, in the Subaru. And I think he won. I'm pretty sure he won. Oh no. I think Scott Speed won. I think he might've got second. If anybody knows who Travis Pastrana is, if you're listening to this episode, then you know, he's probably one of the craziest from a kid. He was crazy and just did anything, but Still. I want to, yeah it's insane but i want to ask you what your favorite win that of all time is oh <laughs> i'd ask what your favorite buck was now i gotta ask you what your favorite win is so that's kind of you so i won king of hammers this year um and like i said it's by far the biggest race in the united states like i get paid by far the most for that event like and it you would think that that would be my favorite but Actually, last year, 2020 at King of Hammers, my second, the second, the, I got second place that race. Um, it's not a win, but that's probably my greatest. Like, that's my favorite. That was my favorite. Well, I guess it's not a win, but favorite achievement podium. in a way. A- achievement, yeah. 
because th- this year I was kind of like, you know, well, I'll start last year. You know, we, uh, you know, we were actually leading the race. We were leading uh, King of Hammers and we were dropped down over uh, uh, this big rock drop they call backdoor. Well, you know, Scotty got out with my co-pilot and he hooked a strap onto the back of me. So when we went down, I wouldn't flip over forwards and he saw oil on the bottom of my skid plate. So at, when he got back in, he's like, Hey, you got oil on the bottom of your skid plate. We're only 60 miles in at this point until like a 200 some mile race. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll get to the next pit and every pit we'll just have them put oil in Well, we're trying to radio the pit um, and tell them that, you know, we need oil uh, for the transmission. Well, we have no radio communication with the pits at all. And when you get to the pit, you can either pull in or you can bypass the pit. Well, the race bypasses the pit, but if you pull in, you have to do 25 mile an hour. So we're leading the race. We have to pull into the pit and we're in such a hurry. We tell them to tell the next pit that we need oil. Well, at that point we get past. Um, so we're in second. It's super dusty, crazy dusty. Well, we're, so we're going through the dust. Uh, we're going up this huge rock hill and the, I ended up hitting, hitting the rock in the dust and flipping the car on its side. And I want to, it's a mountain. We're on the side of a mountain. And anyway, me and Scotty are trying to get the car up. We can't get it upright. Um, we use a jack to, to get it like a foot off the ground and we finally get it, get it up. Well, once we get it up, it, it's, it's still in gear. I didn't put it in park. So it starts rolling down the hill backwards. And we had worked so hard to get this thing over. Like, like I could deadlift like 550 pounds at the time. And I bet I lifted 700. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was gassed and I'm like, I'm not letting this thing go. So I, I, part of me wanted to jump in and hit, hit, put it in park. But I'm like, if I jump in, I'm not strapped in and this thing rolls, like, I'm probably going to roll to my death because it is like, it's a mountain. I mean, and it would have been bad. So I'm like, I'm just going to try to slow it down. So I stayed outside of it and tried to slow it down. Well, it hit me and it got my feet and my legs trapped between it and a, and a big rock and it hit, hit me and I went flying and it ended up going and it ended up stopping in the trail, but you know, it broke my foot, ripped both my shoes off. I didn't even know it broke my foot till I went to stand up and I couldn't stand up. And this is all on video. Like we have a helicopter flying right above us that has all this on video. So I'm like scooting to my car. I get in the car. Um, I, you know, at this point I didn't know my foot was broke. I just knew something was wrong. Like my shoes were gone. I like it, it totally like ruined my foot. Well, anyway, I get, get to the bottom of the hill, the power steering's out. I turn around, go back up the hill, get Scott. We ended up fixing the power steering. By this time, we're 20 to 30 minutes down. We're probably, you know, we'd had a big lead, but we're probably back to eighth or ninth. And uh, we ended up, we kept going, you know, we never gave up. And we we worked our way uh, to second. At the end of the day, we worked our way back up to second. And we, were on, we only lost by two minutes and 30 seconds. We made like up almost 30 minutes. And since that day, um, all I thought about was winning that race every single day. Like I, there wasn't one day since that day that I didn't think about winning that race. So pretty much I prepared myself all last year to win this year. And after I won this year, it's kind of like, you know, I won no big deal. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely don't like losing, you know, winning really doesn't mean that much to me. It's kind of the losing that does. Oh, hundred percent. And like, I've always, I've said on this podcast a lot and it, I feel like this relates to you. Your losses will teach you more than your wins were your wins. will. that, well, that one little, I mean, you got second, but it's still, it's the whole Ricky Bobby thing. If you ain't first, you're last. Like, and once it, it like that kind of fueled you for preparing and then look what happens. You go and win it. Yeah. Like, so we won everything at King of Hammers this year, but like I said, I haven't had, you know, since I won now, I, I feel like I've almost lost it because that's not like, I, I remember last year, it's all I thought about. It's what drove me last year. Now, you know, it's not, but I have other stuff that's driving me now. I mean, we had a, a bad season. It wasn't because, you know, we just had some bad races and champ this year and, you know, we're in the pro four. Now I feel like we're contending for podium spots every race. And, you know, so now I, I have other stuff to drive me, but, you know, no, I don't, nothing drives me like a loss for sure. Yeah. I want to ask you this. I have three questions that I like to ask all my guests. And my first one is what are the goals of Kyle Cheney going forward? Oh man. 
Well, I, I'd like to say, I mean, I definitely, um, I want to win a pro four championship, which is going to be very hard. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, this year I had no budget in pro four and I'm going up against, you know, monster energy teams, NOS energy drink, um, Red Bull, um, you name it, you know, I'm going up against, you know, probably eight to 10 teams that have million dollar budgets, you know, and I had nothing and we still ended up, you know, with some podium positions this year. And, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but I think, you know, we ended up, we'll end up with a title sponsor for next year for the pro four, you know, I can't say anything uh, as of right now, you know, until the deal's done, but um, you know, I think next year in pro four will be good, but no, I want to win a pro four championship. I mean, that would be in those guys, everybody in the pro four is, is a 10 out of 10 driver. I mean, so that would be, that's my main goal right now for sure is, you know, is the pro four, but, you know, in the side-by-side, -side, you know, like I said, I've pretty much already done it. I mean, um, I, I've won um, pretty much every big championship or, or big race. Um, actually, I was supposed to go do the Baja 1000 this year, um, but it's during rut. So I kind of <laughs> like, you know, you know, and, and, you know, I'm kind of like over racing right now, you know, that's my time to be in the woods and, you know, like I said, it doesn't mean nearly as much to me as, as being in a, a tree stand because I feel like I've already, it's not something that I, I'd like to do the Baja 1000, but it's not like something that's on the top of my list right now. But like I said, I've already won most of the other, everything I wanted to win in a side-by-side. -side. Yeah, I want to keep winning. The competition's getting better. You know, you've got young drivers coming in, um, you know, so to keep winning, you got to stay sharp and, and keep after it. But um you know, for the side-by-side, -side, I like I said, I don't really have any goals except to stay on top. Yeah, you got to keep that balance, though, because otherwise you start to almost go insane. Like, because, like, like being in the woods is almost therapeutic as someone like you. It is a whole – it's like you relax 100% in the woods. It's crazy what, you know, sitting there watching the sun go down or going out in the morning watching the sun come up. It's, it's very relaxing and can help – it helps balance you, you know, it'll get rid of some of that stress that you might have. But who is your biggest inspiration? Hmm. I guess I should say who or what? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. That's a, that is really a tough one. Um, and I'm going to have to think about this one for a second. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. You kind of stumped me on that one. I, <laughs> um. Man, I wish I wish I had a a, a comeback for that. I, I man, I I don't know. My biggest inspiration. Man, I'm at a loss. I, I really, <laughs> that's good. I, really, I got I really another question. That's one of my favorite questions. So I'll, we'll just move on to that one. But it's if you could go back in time and tell your 16 year old self one thing, what would it be? Oh, I for sure know this one. It would be. <laughs> buy as much Bitcoin as you possibly can. <laughs> the like, funny, that is hilarious. Cause that is what we talked about at work today. <laughs> no, <nah>, really? <laughs> yes. Oh man. If, if oh, as, as 16 year old, I don't think they have Bitcoin then, but I would tell myself when Bitcoin comes out, empty your freaking piggy bank. I don't care if you got to go get a loan, buy as much freaking Bitcoin as you possibly can. That would be what I would tell myself. I mean, not really. I mean, I would, but like, yeah. I, I would probably tell myself to be more outgoing. Um, you know, I was, I'm not, I'm not a people person, you know, I am better now, but growing up, um, I never really went out, you know, I, I didn't drink or do anything. I didn't go to bars and I'm not saying it's bad. I, I do now and I enjoy it. Um, you know, I just, I didn't go to a whole lot of parties. Um, I didn't hang out with a lot of people from school. Um, you know, I was just, I, I was too busy working on myself and, you know, what I thought was my career at the time, dirt bikes. So, you know, I was either in the gym or I was riding, you know, we were riding dirt bikes every day, you know, till dark. And then we get home and work on them. Like, that's just what I did. And, you know, that's, that's what I wanted to do. But, you know, if I'd go back now, I'd go back and tell myself, you know, to go out and party, it's okay to drink a little bit, you know, you don't have to get plastered, you know, but, you know, go be social, you know, that's probably what I would tell myself, because I feel like uh, I missed, missed a lot of that growing up, because um, I focused so much on racing and, and what I wanted to do that I kind of lost track of what, you know, life actually was or is. Um, so I, you know, I do do that now. Um, you know, I do, you know, go out and socialize and drink and, you know, stuff, you know, but 
you know, I, I do, I do feel like I missed out on that as a kid because of, of my career. Yeah. That's a, you see it a lot in people. They sometimes let, <clears throat> let their career get in the way of their other parts of life. And like I talked about, you have to have that balance of things in your life because otherwise your career can start. That's where people, you know, not saying like marriages, you see marriages get that like fail because of people being too invested in one or the other. And it's good to be invested in your career, but if you have like a family and stuff, you have to balance all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, I just, I didn't do a good job at it as a kid, you know, for sure. You know, even as a young adult, I, I, I was horrible at it. Um, you know, I, it, you know, I really messed up like my, my, love life or whatever you want to call it. You know, I have no kids right now. I don't even have a girlfriend right now, but um, you know, I, I, cause I spend so much time, you know, doing what I love and trying to stay on top that, you know, I, I don't have time to focus on, on other things, which I, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to get better at that. You know, that's what I need to get better at. Yeah. But this leads us into my favorite segment of the podcast, which is motivation Monday. This is the point in the episode where I allow my guests to give the Roughnecks listeners a little inspirational bump to set the tone for their week as they listen. So what does Kyle Cheney have for Motivation Monday on a Thursday? Well, I mean, it's going to be short and sweet. I mean, I'm, I'm far from a motivational speaker. I mean, I'm the one that needs all the motivational quotes. But, you know, there's one quote, um, you know, that I pretty much live by. And I think that almost everybody can, you know, whether you're working at McDonald's or, you know, you're a top CEO of some corporate bank. But, you know, my, you know, my main motto that I pretty much have to go back to every day is uh, winners never quit. Quitters never win. You know, it's to never give up. I mean, you know, nobody that's winning or on top or, you know, nobody that is doing good quits. I mean, you know, once the, once it gets hard, you know, you just got to keep, keep going, keep pushing through. I mean, everybody has hard times. Um, it's just what you, what you learn from your hard times. Yeah. The, the thing about that is that can relate to, like you said, McDonald's, but it can also just relate to life in general as well. Like you can't, like you said, you're going to have hard times. That's part of life. And that goes with, it always comes back to the slogan of this podcast, which is grab the bull by the horns. And, you know, I look at it as the bull is life and we're the bull rider and it's going to knock you down, but you can't just lay there and let it walk all over. You have to get up, grab the bull by the horns and take control of your life. And only you can do that. You can't expect everybody else to do it for you. So don't give up when things get hard. You just have to keep pushing it. it like it relates to the uh, story you told about the tires where you didn't think you were even going to make it. And then look what happens. It, you just keep pushing, keep going and good things can happen. Yeah, no, for sure. Like I said, that's, I don't have a whole lot, but that's, that's probably one good quote that, you know, can relate to everybody. But with that, that's a wrap on episode 56 of the Roughnecks podcast. Thank you, Kyle Chaney, for being a guest on this episode. Where can people follow you and your career on social media? Uh, I have a, I'm probably most active on Instagram. I don't even know my Instagram handle, Kyle Cheney 191, maybe. I, I don't know. And It'll be tagged on our social media. Yeah, so if I they want to find it, they can go see it. I'm far from a social media person. Yeah, it's, I struggle with it. And really, especially with this podcast where I'm to the point where I'm hiring somebody to do it for me. So I don't have to yeah. worry about it as much because it is a lot. Like once you get busy, it's hard to like, oh, I need to post this. I need to post this. It's just a lot to do. No, for sure. But be sure to go give him a follow and then follow the Roughnecks on social media as well while you're at it. Be sure to check out the fairly new TikTok for some behind-the-scenes stuff. But until next week, make sure you grab the bull by the horns. Life is hard and it's going to walk all over you. Get up. Oh, wow. I just completely messed that up for the first time in 56 episodes. I don't know what I was thinking. I got you flustered. <laughs> <laughs> I said it perfectly earlier, but now I can't even think it. I don't know what just happened. But life is hard and is going to knock you down just like a bull does to a bull rider. Get up, grab the bull by the horns, and take control of your life. Until next time, Roughnecks out.
Thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode of the Roughnecks podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then do a couple things for me if you would. Subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss any of our future episodes. Then share this episode with a friend so that we can continue to spread this podcast and share my guest stories and advice. You guys know the deal, though. Until next time, be sure to grab the bull by the horns and take control of your life. Roughnecks out. Oh, thank you.